to First Time Lord. I'm Daniel Levain, and as the title of the podcast implies, I have never seen Doctor Who, and now I'm watching it all the way through, and I am enjoying the heck out of it. I cannot wait for every week to come by so that I can sit down, watch a new episode, and get to talk about it with somebody that has been a Doctor Who fan and knows so much more about it than I do. And this week, we are talking about The Family of Blood, which is episode nine of series three, which happens to be a continuation of last week's episode, uh, Human Nature. So joining me back to discuss the second half of this two-parter is the lovely, amazingly talented, and the smoothest sounding person on this podcast, Jamie Kern. Why, thank you. <laughs> I feel a great you responsibility got... now to use this voice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's you got that like NPR, you know, mixed with a little bit of like late night XM, you know, satellite radio voice that... I, I could I could either hear the news from you or I could hear gossip from you and it would not sound strange at all. I'll take it. I'll take it. Maybe in my next career. <laughs> that's what I'll go for. There you go. The, the second half of your, your life, you'll just podcast and uh, stream XM shows from your house. Exactly. <laughs> but welcome back. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having uh, me. And dear listener, if you haven't already... Uh, This would be a great time to pause the podcast if you have not seen Family of Blood, because inevitably throughout our conversation, we will divulge parts of the plot and thus spoil the episode for you. So, in fact, if you haven't seen Human Nature or Family of Blood, now would be a great time to pause the podcast, go watch Human Nature, then listen to the podcast from last week, then watch Family of Blood and watch and then listen to this week's episode of the podcast, which we're going to start right now. And I love how it starts. It starts with a good old fashioned alien versus human Mexican standoff. <laughs> Showdown. <if you> will. <laughs> Martha holding, you know, weird alien gun. That looks not ergonomical at all. No, not even a little bit. <laughs> and really difficult to point straight because it doesn't look like, you know, the way she's holding it, she would really be pointing it at them more like at their feet. It but reminds me. I guess me, if you're going to vaporize them. It reminds me of the shape of the alien from Alien when it's first born, right? That yeah. sort of awkward curve. Like, did that come out Absolutely. of somebody's stomach? Where did you get that gun? well it 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 felt like uh you know last week we talked about the the cheesy effects it felt like the prop department just like grabbed a pool noodle and like (laughs) pulled it (laughs) or one of those things that you spin and it makes that weird woo 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 sound and they just kind of like pulled it out you know it was like a bendy straw that they turned into a gun but there's Martha looking all sorts of badass, you know, holding that gun. Be like, no, you drop it. Right. You know, you're like, oh, you think I'm crazy? I'm a crazy person with a gun. How more, How much more dangerous do you want that to be? You know, it right. was great. <laughs> um, but, you know, of course, Martha, 
uh, is smart enough to to save the doctor, keep him from harm uh, in his human form, get him to escape these weird families, which I, I guess we didn't really talk about a lot last week, but it, they're called the family. Yeah, they call themselves the family, and then eventually they call themselves the family of blood, which I have to say it like that every time, the family of blood. <laughs> <laughs> right. You kind of have to do that weird, you know, W with your Vs. Exactly. Uh, family of blood. blood. <laughs> what sweet music they make, no? <laughs> but is is this like a known villain of uh of doctor or is not this the I'm first time we've seen of. it not that i'm aware of if it is a known villain again it's going to be from an, an early early part of the series before you know the part that you've been watching and before the part that i've watched so they're they're not known that i know of well they because they sound a little bit like what you know some of our uh, listeners, uh, especially if you're from the Midwest or uh, Northern states, you would recognize as cicadas, mm. you know, because the doctor's like, oh, three weeks and they die. And you're like, annoying, loud, three weeks and they die. Yeah, that sounds like a cicada. Right, right. <laughs> well, you know, you know, um, I wouldn't be surprised if cicadas were aliens. So in doctor who they probably are exactly (laughs) that's what i love about the show is the most benign of answers it's always well actually no it's aliens right (laughs) but yeah they they definitely have a beef with the doctor or they they're you know they're hardcore about basically gaining whatever form of immortality they feel that the time lords have yeah they need him they, yeah, they're, they're, and I love that they can sniff him out. That you know the the reason they couldn't was because he was human, um, and the only way they sort of put two and two together was because the kid kept opening the darn watch, and they're like, "We smell the watch." Yeah, I think of this episode during allergy season whenever I'm like. <sighs> Because that's what they do at the whole episode. So during allergy season, whenever I do that, I'm like, "Oh, I'm part of the family." <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm gonna have, I'm gonna start doing that now. Yeah, because uh, I mean, at first it was uh, like, oh, "I must have caught a cold," you right? Because everybody's got that proper accent. It's like, "I must have caught a cold." It was very chilly out there. You know, and they're all sniffing like they're all coked out, you know, right? <laughs> 1980s. You know, if this was set in the 1980s, uh, you would be thinking something else. Say, nobody would think they'd have a cold. Right. You're like, OK, sure. Where's <laughs> was the suit with the uh, shoulder pads? <laughs> Uh, we, you know, we, we get a little bit more on the kid, uh, and I'm sure he had a name. I just missed it. Timothy. The kid that stole the watch, Timothy. Um, and we, we get a little bit, uh, kind of a hint that he, uh, precognition, uh, allows him to kind of see the future a little bit. Cause we, he has that moment where he sees himself like in the trenches of World War One. Yeah. It's interesting, right? Because we don't see a lot of things like that that happen in Doctor Who that don't end up being explained by science or aliens. And this is one of those things that is not explained by science or aliens. This is some sort of power that he has, actually. Mm -hmm. He's got this this sense he can kind of read minds and see the future a little bit. Right. And and I'm wondering, because we see him able to use that power 
in last episode, he has a moment where he basically is able to read the mind of uh, that really entitled, uh, you know, rich uh, guy, and it gets him in trouble. Um, so it definitely is something that he had before he comes into contact with the doctor and the watch. Um, cause that, that would have been easily the, the, the quick way of explaining it. Cause the doctor even says, you know, oh, it's, you know, it's got this minor telepathy field, right? but he had that power before the telepathy. So it's almost like the watch is allowing this kid to expand that capability and gives him this insight into the future. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, other people have passed that watch and not had been drawn to it at all, right? Joan mm-hmm. passed that watch. She saw that watch and was not drawn to it in any way. Martha was not drawn to it other than that she knew that what it was. But Tim definitely had this feeling that it was calling to him in a way that nobody else did. Yeah, yeah. And it's never really explained. Are we, I mean, you, you, you don't have to tell me how or why, but is is he going to come back in Doctor Who? Nope. As far as I know, this is the only time that we see him. I would love for him to come back. Wow. That would be really great. But this is the only time we really see him. We never, yeah. we never get an explanation for why he has these abilities, which is, again, not something that usually happens. We usually get some sort of explanation. There's something that has happened that has given them the ability or they're an alien, one of the two. But we don't get that with him. <laughs> wow, that's kind of cool. So it's like the first unexplained uh, phenomena yeah. <laughs> uh, of of the uh, of the show. Yeah, exactly. But, so the there is a moment uh, pretty early in the episode where Martha, you know, she's had to put on the big the big girl the. She's had to put on the big girl breeches and, you know, kind of assume the position that the doctor usually uh, takes up and starts telling people what to do. And she's having a conversation with Joan and she has to reassure her. She's like, you haven't got a rival. Right. And then, you know, like insinuating that, you know, she wishes she was a rival, but clearly that's not what the doctor intends. Um, which, you know, we, we talked a little bit about this last week. It shows, you know, Martha is really freaking mature about this. She really is because she absolutely could have taken that moment to be like, yeah, you know, he's the doctor and I'm his partner. I'm his wife. I'm his, you know, whatever that is. She could have said anything Mm -hmm. she wanted in that moment, but she didn't, not only does she not do that, she tries to reassure the other woman in this situation that like, no, he's, he's in love with you and I've got nothing to do with that, which is, mm-hmm. as that's the perfect word for it. It's so mature. Right. Cause it's almost like clearly you see it's, it's hurting her, but she's also not willing to, uh, to inter to, to interfere in it. She, she recognizes that, you know, the purity of what's happening uh, much to her dislike is that the human version of the doctor, John Smith became smitten and fell in love with somebody that is not her. And she's reassuring that like, almost like telling her is like, yeah, this guy really cares for you. So don't, don't take it for granted. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, 
such a wonderful moment. Um, but you know, things are unraveling fast and they, they, they seek refuge back in, in the, uh, the dormitories of the, the boarding school. And this is, you know, this is another one of those moments. Uh, we, we touched on this last week, but here's the doctor like giving out orders like a general and asking these kids to basically take up his fight. Yeah. Which is funny too, because, um, he does that with the kids, but when they're still at the dance, he absolutely freezes when they're there. And it, it's Martha and Joan who are the ones who get everybody out of there, right? And Martha even at one point says, God, you're rubbish as a human. Um, right. <laughs> because he just freezes. But then when he gets with the kids, he can sort of, maybe because they're kids, he can have take that moment where he becomes, you know, general doctor. <laughs> Which, again, you know, uh, he gets confronted uh, at the idea that why, you know, this isn't you. You wouldn't put these kids in danger. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the human version of the doctor is, uh, you know, he believes he is in the right. He believes that this is what, you know, these kids have trained for. uh, And, you know, because he he still you can see that it's still difficult and staggeringly difficult for him to understand that these are not just other enemy combatants, but aliens with superior technology. Right. Right. Well, and and Uh, he does have a moment where he sort of has a change of heart after they shoot all of the scarecrows and he sort of has a moment and realizes we didn't kill anybody and I can still stop this. I don't have to kill anybody. Well, and talk about an emotional moment when you see these children uh, thinking that they're, you know, killing these, you know, not human beings, but these, you know, sentient beings, and, and you see them all crying. Yeah. Uh, and there's almost that moment of like relief when they realize, oh, we didn't kill them. Oh, thank God. Right. Right. Yeah. The, those boys were about to grow up real fast there, and you, they sort of get yeah. a reprieve from that which and, is... and i mean again it's it's clearly it's all foreshadowing because uh you know we in the u.s may not necessarily understand the significance of uh of world war one but for for the british uh you know it was a long arduous and hard fought battle where a lot of kids died yeah. uh and you know it almost needlessly uh so i i definitely felt that in in that part of the episode where you see those kids have those reactions uh and you know that it's just a reprieve that you know the doctor is really only bought him a year uh, that in in a year they're all going to be faced with that and even worse horrors right right um which you know which is kind of it, it that's that's a tough part to follow or a tough you know pill to swallow in this episode is seeing all those kids and realizing uh that most of them won't survive and there, there's that moment where they they have that confrontation with the the big man in charge which uh you know i wrote down on my notes big white man thinks he knows better right because he's telling everybody you know get out and do this and do that and you know he gets evaporated which I, I'm glad for, um, but you know, there's that moment where 
uh, I think it's Martha that tells him, like, all these kids are going to go to war and all these kids, like, are they going to really thank you for this? Right. Yeah. Russell T. You Davies know. actually did an interview at one point and said that he thought that these two episodes, the, the last one and this one, were too dark for the audience for a show. So he even acknowledged that, like, there's some really heavy stuff that happens in these two episodes. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's there's some, which I, I enjoyed because, you know, the, the show definitely has opportunities to go into really light and fun territories. And a lot of the adventures that we've had with Martha are, you know, significantly, uh, you know, they're, they're still poignant and important. You know, I think gridlock is a perfect example Mm of, uh, it, it's all wrapped in a silly little show, but you know, the, the commentary on what it's like, uh, to live, you know, unaware of what is happening, uh, of, you know, being sort of, subjugated to just only being able to see what's right in front of you Mm -hmm. uh you know so a lot of really heavy um topics get discussed in the show in a very frothy kind of way and i think this is the first time that the show kind of addresses some of those darker some of those you know more serious notes uh and i really i mean I enjoyed a lot of what this episode was putting up, but it was, it was really difficult. So speaking of the difficult parts, I think one of the first things that hit me is, um, you know, they're all hiding in the, in the house of the, the girl with the balloon. Uh, and you see the doctor as, you know, his human counterpart, uh, and he has that moment. He says the line, I'm John Smith. That's all I want to be, John Smith, with his life and his job and his love. Why can't I be John Smith? Isn't he a good man? Yeah. Sort of realizing the gravity of the situation, realizing that the situation calls for a solution that only can come from the doctor and almost like fighting against realizing that that will be his death. Right. This is a man who likes his life. He, he likes his life the way that it is and there's nothing wrong with it. And it's pleasant and he's fallen in love and there are all of these good things. He's got a good job. There are all of these good things that are happening. And he has that sort of moment of crisis of like, I, I don't want to be this other person that is supposed to be so amazing. I don't want to be him. I like who I am. And it's heartbreaking. Those are stories. Those are other stories. Like he has that moment where you're like, I mean, I I literally wrote on my notes after that quote, wow, that hurt. Yeah. Because I I felt that like straight in the chest when he said that. Wow. It was such a like big, giant emotional punch. Well, imagine if somebody Uh, came to you right now and said, you know, your name is not Daniel Levain. You are so and so. You're somebody else entirely, and you have mm-hmm. to leave this world that you know now. You have to leave everything that you know and all of the people that you love, and you have to become this other person because we said so. You know, it, it's right. heart wrenching. It's terrible. It's frightening. Yeah, it, I mean, it's like I said. It, it's like he is fighting against his own death. He is not going quietly into that good night. Uh, and in a very human way, he's approaching it from that sort of sense of despair. Why can't I just be John Smith is such a powerful moment for him. Uh, only 
to be followed up by an even, you know, bigger uh, moment when he says, Why does he need you? Because he's lonely. And that's what you want me to become. Right. And again, oh my God. Like, if this was coming from any other character, I'd be like, shut your mouth. Don't you say that about the doctor. (laughs) You know, but instead it's him. It's he is saying it about himself. And you're like, oh, wow, that hurts. Yeah. Because of all of the wonderful things that the doctor is and that we love about him, he is lonely. And there are parts of him that are sad and there are parts of him that are frightening. And, um, you know, for somebody on the outside to recognize that is is difficult and, and to recognize that that's who you would become you know, we don't often mm-hmm. get to see the person that we will become. Um, it sort of happens gradually, but he's, you know, seeing this major switch that's about to happen and going. And it's so funny because so many times I think in life we, we sort of wish that we were somebody else. And even he sort of, you know, when he was dreaming about the doctor, maybe sort of wished mm-hmm. that he was the doctor, maybe sort of wished that he was that someone else. But then when confronted of the reality of, no, you really are, it's that moment of, wait a minute, no, 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 I like who I am. I didn't realize how much right. I liked who I am, <laughs> you know? It's like I've I've seen and felt through these dreams what this guy is going through. I don't want that. Right. You know, just imagine, you know, it just the idea, that moment, that, that word, that's what you want me to become mm-hmm. after she says, because he's lonely Again, you know, he's sitting next to, he's standing next to this woman he's fallen in love with after two months. And Martha is basically saying, no, I need you to be this other person. Mm -hmm. And that person is, you know, incredibly lonely. Um, Which, you know, it's such a sucker punch. Uh, And while we're on a roll of emotional sucker punches, there's that moment falling in love that didn't even occur to him no then what sort of man is that and what sort of man is that yeah right because it's absolutely true and again hadn't thought about it until those words are uttered in the episode and then i'm left with having to confront that reality the doctor had no idea that this was going to happen no And Martha's been like trying to figure it out because she knows that this is going to pose a problem. She knew from episode one uh, or from from the previous episode, from human nature, she knew that this, you know, emotional entanglement was going to be a difficult hurdle. And she kept reviewing these rules that had been given to him or to her by him. And there was nothing. And and she kept saying, like, what about the parts you didn't tell me? And the fact that Joan even, you know, confronts that and says, what kind of man is that that wouldn't have even thought about falling in love? Yeah, exactly. You know, it was just, uh, you know, oh, such a such a like it it was that, you know, one thing one, two, three combo that just kind of emotionally got me. Uh, and, you know, fortunately we have a moment 
uh, that feels very much like a 1990s like romantic movie moment. But you know, here's Martha saying the thing that it took Rose a really long time to admit. Yeah. You know, and and there's Martha just openly saying it. You know, I I hope you don't remember this, <laughs> but I love I love him to bits. You know, yep. she because says again that, because yeah. Martha's mature, right? She's she's a little more right. mature than Rose was, so she's able to recognize and voice those feelings in a way that I think Rose wasn't able to do at first. I I think that's ex- that that's exactly the the words that I've been trying to come up with in describing the difference between Martha and Rose to myself is that it's not that Rose uh, was lesser than and Martha is better. It's just Martha is just more is a more mature more um sure of who she was mm-hmm. before she met the doctor mm-hmm. which allows her to then be so so capable of so quickly falling in love and so quickly admitting it right knowing that almost seeing that you know it's just going to lead to her feeling emotional pain uh because clearly the doctor's not going to reciprocate but it, it's almost like it doesn't matter to her. She still just wears it like a badge of honor, yep. which, holy crap, that, you know, again, that lifted me after that that three-way punch with all those emotional moments for Martha to just kind of step up and say, nope, this is, this is what's going on. I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, uh, and I'm going to lay it out there. Uh, and they, you know, they they address it a little bit at the end. Again, very much in a romantic movie, you know, <laughs> yeah. silly sitcom kind of way. It's like, oh no, 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 of course you didn't. Yeah. No, 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 of course. But they still have that hug because the doctor realizes that 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 wasn't just a small thing. You know, that it took a lot of courage for her to say that, even if the doctor thinks that it was just to convince him to open the watch and become the doctor again. Like he knows that there was, there was a level of emotional control and emotional power to it that he, like he had to acknowledge it. He had to give her a hug. He had to sort of say, I I see you. I may not be able to meet you emotionally there, but I, at least I see you. Well, and I think he does. I think the doctor loves her. He just doesn't love her in the way that she loves him, you know? So he definitely, I think that hug is genuine and it's not sort of to placate her. It's a definite, you know, I'm, I love you too. It's just not, I love you too in the same way. <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, to, to see the doctor ultimately, you know, make the sacrifice that he has to make uh, and become the doctor again and give up that that person that had a life and for two months uh, just walked around in a world oblivious of everything else that ha- that was happening uh, and make, you know, the, the sacrifice to give that part of himself up to become this, you know, greater entity um, for him to show that the, the only reason he was running away from these people was because of his empathy, 
because he didn't want to destroy, which we talked about. You know, this is a doctor that we've seen have a dark, menacing side. And we've heard in the not so distant past, he's the guy that destroyed all of the Dalek and along with them, his entire home planet. Mm -hmm. So he's clearly not afraid of making these gigantic decisions. And yet he's evolving, he's changing. And part of that was, you know, the empathy. He didn't want them to just simply die out uh, or at least die out because of him. Right. Uh, and so he ends up giving them the gift that they wanted. He just gives it to them in a way that he knows uh, he's going to drive the point home. Like the little girl being trapped in a mirror. Mm-hmm. Now that's a creepy image. Yes, it is. <laughs> I mean, I'm never going to be able to go into a bathroom again. No, and you don't even <laughs> without see thinking her, about that. You don't even see her full face, right? So at the end, when they're doing that moment, her face is, you know, two thirds covered, and all you see is, you know, that little sliver of her face and the balloon. So, you know, mm-hmm. just like if you were to see something out of the corner of your eye in a mirror, that's exactly what you would see. Terrifying. The, yep. And that's what uh, I'm like, yep, never going to be able to look at a mirror <laughs> the same way again. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the fact that the, 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 the guy got turned into a scarecrow mm-hmm. and the dad is like chained in eternity mm-hmm. and the mom, like, it, it's just that's that's the doctor we know is he's showing them compassion but he's also delving out justice exactly you know and the justice is okay you wanted immortality and you were willing to kill for it i'm gonna give it to you but you are going to now realize the curse of immortality yeah baines even says he ran because he was being kind mm-hmm and when he stops running, and he always knew that he could beat them. You know, he's the doctor. He always knew that one way or another he was going to be able to take them out. But he mm-hmm. was hoping that they would just die out on their own without him having to torture them, basically. That's kind of what he does is he sort of tortures them for, you know, the rest of their now forever lives. Right. Yeah. I mean, it. it's such a nice way to wrap it up and you know it, it it's also I, in other two-part episodes uh it sometimes it felt like the conclusion comes so close to the end of the the time that there's a conclusion and then there's no time to really ponder it we just move on and in this you know the uh, the conclusion of this happens pretty early on and so we get to see the 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 fallout we get to see the the justice he dealt out to the family we get to see him go back and talk to joan and basically try to convince joan to become you know yet another companion mm-hmm. yeah i mean uh, which he, he asked her to, to try with him and because there is a part of him the doctor that knows that he loves her but it's mm-hmm. not the same. Again, it's not the same kind of love. Well, and the fact that she said, no, you know, I had a husband and he died. And then I had this other person in my life. And she insinuates that basically, you know, she had John Smith and she loved John Smith, but John Smith is dead. 
and the person that is in front of her now is this person and cause she she says these words which i like if you're going to talk to the doctor the only way you're going to be able to beat him is by using logic he cannot refute mm-hmm. and she you know she's she's refusing to look into his eyes and then she says answer me this just one question that's all if the doctor never visited us if it never chosen this place on a whim would anyone here have died and when he can't answer you know that's it that's her you know she's like you brought death into this area and john smith would not have yep she can't come to terms with that with with that being who the doctor is as opposed to who john was um Mm -hmm. and she she definitely feels that john has died you know she even says he was braver than you that ordinary man you chose to change but he chose to die he made the choice to you know end what was his life with her in order Mm -hmm. to save everybody else whereas the doctor chose to come to this place and sort of bring down this reign of terror for a night um not that that's what he intended for it to be but that's what happens when the doctor is around yeah we've we've talked about this a lot but you know it was sort of mentioned in, in all the way back in series one that you know death is always around the doctor doctor always brings death uh and it's seldom the chance that something happens and people don't die around the doctor it's not impossible but you know more more frequently than not you know there is a price to be paid uh, i think in uh, love and monsters uh we we get that you know, there is a price to be paid with coming into contact with the doctor, even insularly like those characters in Love and Monsters, uh, you know, but they they were in contact with the doctor. And just by sh- that sheer contact, their lives are affected, mm-hmm. too. So, you know, it really wonderful moment for for Joan. Um, now, I wonder does Martha realize that the doctor asked her to come along or does Martha just take the doctor at his word that Nope, everything is closed out. We're finished here and we, it's time to move on. You know, I think that she expects that he would ask her to come along. I think Martha realizes that, um, that that's the right thing to do if nothing else, right. The right thing to do is to say, Hey, you know, you've seen, you've now been privy to this sort of fantastical world. Why don't you come in and see more of it with us? Um, so I think that Martha knows that he must have offered it to her um, because Martha even says kind of, do you want me to go talk to her? You know, again, Martha being mm-hmm. mature Martha going, you know, I'll help. I'll go talk to her and tell her like, this is not your fault. Come with us. You know, I think Martha would have offered the same thing. So while it's not explicitly, said that he offered it to her i think martha knows that that's what happened yeah that's that's the feeling i got to that you know before they shared that hug they there was that moment of understanding of knowing like i i understand i understand if she needed to come along 
or if you needed her to come along. And based on the way he responds to her, she kind of gets it that he's like, okay, it's over. We're, right. we're moving on. Right. Exactly. You know, just amazing maturity. So that that's it for all my questions. Um, is there anything in this episode that I missed that is going to come back? Uh, that I didn't notice or pay attention to? No, these episodes really stand alone. So there's really not a lot here that is something that you need to watch for, for, for something that's going to come back. I do, I cannot let this episode go by though without talking about one of my all-time favorite Doctor Who quotes. I love it so much. It's on a piece of art in my house. And it's mm. when Tim is talking about the Doctor and he says, He's... He's like, like fire, fire and, and ice and rage. rage. He's like he's like the, the night and the storm and the heart of the sun. He's ancient and forever. He burns at the center of time and you can see the turn of the universe. Stop it, said stop it. And, and he's wonderful. He's wonderful. It's just one of my favorite all-time Doctor Who quotes in such a beautiful, poetic way to explain the Doctor. And if 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 somebody were to ask who is the Doctor there is no better way to describe him than those words right there. There was almost a moment of pride when I heard him say that, like as I was watching the episode uh, where you're right, like as he's describing him, you're like, that is exactly who that character is. And he's more complicated than just a simple quick quib or sentence. Like he is, a contradiction of himself. He is both danger and safety. He is all of those things. And, and to end it with, and he is wonderful, wonderful. which, you know, um, I think it was uh, during gridlock that we talked about how um, the, the cat driver, yeah. um, he says he's uh, he's weird, but he's also a bit brilliant, magnificent or brilliant or something. Yeah, he's yeah, like- magnificent, but he's also magnificent. You're like he's he's been described that way before by people that have just come into contact with him very briefly, um, and that is absolutely you know he is all those things, and you know he's all those contradictions in a super cool trench coat, <laughs> and you know. Uh, Converse sneakers. And we need that reminder right at that point in the episode because we've just watched John Smith being so upset about the idea that he'll no longer be John Smith that I think there's almost a part of us that wants him to have that human life, right? And so we mm-hmm. need the reminder that no, the doctor really is this amazing and wonderful person and we need him back. We need that reminder. And in a in that beautiful way that a, a sci-fi show can do he did get to have that life yeah you know as they both touched the watch they both got to see what their life would have been like yeah which is i think why joan was so uh content with just realizing that john smith was gone and that you know it, it's the the doctor standing in front of her looks like him sounds like him but is not him and that that would actually be more painful because Mm -hmm. it would be a a constant reminder of the life that she doesn't get to have that she got to see that she got to feel for you know even if it was just a moment right exactly so 
great episode, uh, but I'm sure there are some interesting tidbits that I and Jamie don't know anything about. So let's uh, see. Ashley, let's have some of those amazing TARDIS tidbits. This is Ashley's TARDIS tidbits for Series 3, Episode 9, Family of Blood. The role of Phillips was originally offered to Nicholas Briggs, who we know as the voice of the Daleks, but he passed on the role because he felt it was too small. This episode takes place on November 11th, 1913, which is five years to the day before the signing of the armistice with Germany that ended World War I. Even as John Smith, the doctor stays true to form and cannot bring himself to fire his weapon in this episode. Although there was a lot of praise for writer Paul Cornell in these two parters, a great deal of this episode actually had been rewritten by the executive producer Russell T. Davies. And during the COVID-19 pandemic, Paul Cornell released three interlocked short stories that collectively functioned as a sequel to both his original novel and this television episode. And awesome. Thank you so much, Ashley, for once again dropping some more knowledge and uh, helping us get a little deeper, uh, n- just interesting stuff from this episode, get get into the nitty gritty of it. So thank you so much. Uh, so, Jamie, is, is there anything else left to talk about in this episode? No, uh, these are I actually normally when I talk to you, I have pages and pages of notes, but I barely had any notes because I love these episodes so much. It's I just get sucked into them. So I had to keep mm-hmm. reminding myself that, oh, yeah, I have to talk about this in a minute. Um, but I, I think we've, we've talked about them all. I am excited for you for what you have coming up in your next episode. So you've got some good stuff coming up. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I've been hearing about this next episode since I started the podcast. Uh, and I certainly heard about it before I knew that I was going to start podcasting. So uh, I I hope that it hasn't been built up in my mind uh, to a point where uh, (laughs) I don't enjoy it as much because I have to be honest, out of all of the episodes so far that I have watched, I've had some really good experiences and some really deep, uh, you know, emotional moments. I think these two episodes are probably my favorite out of all of the episodes so far. Yeah. Because of the 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 subject matter that they deal with, the the fact that they're so earnest about confronting uh the the humanity uh and the the just the pain that comes with uh, just being a human being, which sometimes gets whitewashed. You know, people always want to talk about the happiness and the joy, uh, but it is part of the human contract. It is part of what makes us better people. Uh, You know, certainly Joan is going to be better for this encounter she's had, Um, but it's left her emotionally scarred. Uh, And clearly Martha is going to walk away from the situation being a significantly better and wiser person. But again, she's going to wear those emotional scars. Uh, So I, I just, I love how this episode shows you that in a way that it humanizes that pain uh, without it, you know, being dramatized or over dramatized. Right. Right. I totally agree. Totally agree. Well, the good news so. is the next episode is a very different kind of episode, so it has a different feel. <laughs> 
So I think, I think you'll enjoy it in a different way. Well, I cannot wait to watch it with wide open eyes. <laughs> and thank you so much for joining me for this episode, Jamie. I love this conversation. Again, uh, there, serendipity has its way. And uh, as emotional as this episode is, uh, I know Jamie and I have shared emotional moments uh, and we've been vulnerable with each other. So I'm glad that I had that opportunity to do that once again. Uh, this time talking about Doctor Who. Agreed. Agreed. Thanks for having me. <laughs> and thank you, dear listener, for uh, making it to the end of another podcast. I sure would appreciate if you head on over to firsttimelord.com and uh, visit our website. Check out the, the show. Leave a comment. We have all of our current shows, all of our past series is in there as well. Uh, so any comment would be great. Uh, if you're feeling you want to support the show uh check out our merch shop we've got some uh cool t-shirt designs and whatnot uh that you can help the show out with or if uh you know merch is not your thing you can uh, head on over either by using the link on the website or going to patreon and searching for daniel levane uh, you can become a supporter of the show that way uh, or heck if you don't want to monetarily support the show, but you want to pass it on to a friend or a family member that you think would enjoy going through the same experience that I am of watching Doctor Who for the first time, share those episodes because uh, any support in any fashion is greatly appreciated. And with that said, I guess uh, I've made it. I am going to head into next week and uh, I guess I'm not going to blink. See you next week, everybody.